Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Ryan Wanzink today. And if you've ever used smaller dinner plates to eat less or serve yourself healthier food first, or use myplate.gov, you might have heard Brian Wanzik's name. And so we've got a phenomenal individual who has really helped so many people. And in fact, millions of people make healthier decisions. And it's about mindless eating. It's about mindless, you know, approaches to living a healthier life. And at the end of the day, health is wealth. And so if you want to be a higher performer, it's about how are we removing our thoughts towards how can we live healthier, right? And today is going to give you the tools for doing that. You're going to learn so much about not only mindless eating, you're going to learn more about some practical tips that you can apply immediately to improve your nutrition, to improve your performance as a result um, in so many different things. So I think you're going to learn so much. So buckle up. Today's episode is phenomenal. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high performing real estate investors. I'm your coach. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time to do so. So let's go. Whether or not you're ready, we're rocking and rolling and we are rolling to the next level. So if you are enjoying Elevate Podcast, I invite you to subscribe, rate, and review, or follow, rate, and review. I mean, they're changing the, the names of these things here rapidly. So we invite you to, um, you know, give us a uh, give us a like if you're watching us on YouTube. Thank you. Hopefully, um, hopefully I brushed my teeth today. Um, but, uh, you know, we're just so thankful uh, to have you here. So thankful to be able to contribute to you. And make sure you share this with a friend because at the end of the day, uh, that's the fee for for this episode, for listening or for watching. It's just to share this with someone that you care about, someone that you've just met. Maybe it's someone that you've known for a long time. Share this episode with a friend, share it with your social media, uh, your, your network and so forth. And at the end of the day, I would love nothing more than to introduce you to Brian Wanzink. For over 30 years, he has been discovering easy, mindless ways you and your family can eat better and weigh less along with school programs such as Smarter Lunchroom Movement. His discoveries and solutions have been published in over 20 languages in books such as Mindless Eating and Slim by Design. He has been a professor at Cornell, Illinois, UPenn, and Dartmouth, and he was appointed by the White House to be the executive director in charge of the U.S. Dietary Guidelines. So we definitely have a um, authority on diet, on dietary guidelines, and so many different things. So I just want to encourage you to really enjoy this conversation with Brian Wanzink. Brian Wanzink, how are you, my friend? God, I'm doing great, Taylor. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is really cool. 
man, I appreciate your happy attitude, your fun attitude. And I, I, I'm excited to have some fun today in this conversation. To me, it's like, it's almost like a, a dance, right? We're going to dance with each other a little bit. And uh, I think something amazing will come of it. So man, I want to dive into this conversation with you, but before we do, I love to do this. If you could give the audience a little bit more context about you. And the way that I ask this is, if you were to describe yourself in the way that your closest family members or, or friends or people that have known you for the longest, what would they say about you, Brian? Uh, you know, they say if you've ever tried to eat better or eat healthier without really trying and being mindless about it, you probably know what my husband does, or me in this case, because all my, all my life has been spent on this obsession of how to get of how to get people to have more meaningful sort of relationships with each other, but also more meaningful relationships with food in a way where it's not seen as an enemy. It's not seen as something that they have to eat less of, or they have to eat the right thing, but where they can just mindlessly set up their life so they can eat less, eat better, have better friends, have better relationships. So even the people closest to you would describe you in that way. <laughs> no, they would say they'd use words like obsessed and then they'd, they'd roll their eyes and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> obsessed, <laughs> committed, know, right? Yeah, that's, 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 a, they'd say, uh, they'd also say, uh, um, that I'm fairly, uh, childish. Mm, that could I be a good thing. Childlike. I prefer childlike, but yes, they would say childish. Probably. <laughs> So, you know, I want to, I want to lead into sort of your expertise as far as eating goes and nutrition, but before we get there, let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, your, your backstory and that kind of stuff. Give me a sense of, you know, where you came from and all that good stuff, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Sioux city, Iowa in uh, the Western edge of Iowa next to South Dakota and grew up on uh, my, my, my dad was a production worker in a bakery and my mom was a secretary and and I went to school and kind of got the idea, oh, my God, I can change the world if I become a professor. So I went, I went to professor school. Then I've been a professor at, a, at some really, really cool universities I've been really pleased to be at. And all of my work is focused on how can people set up their lives so they mindlessly make smarter decisions without having to think about it? How do they mindlessly set up their lives so that they eat the right stuff? How do they mildly set it up so they have the right relationships with people and things like this? And I, I've been really fortunate because this has turned into some, some, some impactful books. It's uh, I, President Bush uh, called me and I took a two-year leave of absence as a professor to go be in charge of the dietary guidelines for two years while he was in office. It, uh, it turned into a, a bunch of cool things. So if you've ever eaten off of smaller plates so that you mindlessly eat less. That's our stuff. If your kids have ever gone to their school lunchroom, which was a smarter lunchroom, which is redesigned. So the easiest, healthiest stuff was easiest to eat. That's my stuff. If you've ever seen the, the my plate, the, the new dietary guidelines, and then your, your, your wife, your husband, or your kids have said, you should eat more like that. That's my stuff also. That is cool. That's really awesome. And and man, it's almost like, I almost feel like thanking you for our, your service to our country in some ways, you know, obviously with being a part of the, the administration in that, uh, in that capacity, that's awesome. And so cool to be able to look back and say, well, wow, you've contributed so much. You continue to contribute so much. 
And so, you know, going back to that kind of central theme, it's like mindlessly setting up your life so that you can expand in these different categories. You know, obviously in one capacity, it's nutrition, but where did you become so fascinated with this mindless approach to growth in all of these different categories? Yeah, that's really a really great question. So I was in my, I was in my PhD program. This is, I was out in Stanford, California. And, and you, you read about how people make decisions and it's just, the theories are so laborious. You read them and you say, geez, that's not the way I make a decision. I don't like come up with all you know, the different sort of attributes and weight them and kind of come up with some uh, right. metric. You know, I don't know how I make most decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought there's, there's gotta be, there, there's gotta be some explanations for how most of us make these decisions every day that we really don't give much time to, but get made nonetheless and influence our life. Like if you were to ask most people, if you were to say, hey, why'd you uh, uh, have a soup versus salad for lunch today? Most people kind of go, uh... now they might, they might try to give an answer. It's probably not the real one. If you say, well, why did you eat uh, all of it versus part of it? Or why, why did you eat all of your chips instead of least some of your chips? Or why did you order a red beer instead of a Coke, whatever? People wouldn't be able to answer why that happened. Yet those decisions make these, they pile up and make big decisions in our life uh, in the same way that uh, the decisions we make about what we might do or say with our spouse has a little bit of an impact every day or one direction or the other. And I thought, God, this is so interesting because inherently it's really important, but it's not cool to study. So I thought, you know, I've never been cool. And at the time, I'm maybe 30 years old, I said, and it's probably too late to happen now. I'm just, <laughs> so I'm going to study this mindless stuff. <laughs> Man. Yeah. That, that really resonates with me. I think you're cool, by the way. I'm going to give you the cool stamp of approval uh, from, from Elevate. You deserve to be cool, man. This is so, you know, it's, it's really interesting because it, it comes down to habits, right? And at the end of the day, most of our life is driven by habits. And some, some experts will say 80 plus percent of our daily actions are habits. And that's mindless, right? And, and if we thought yeah. about all of our habits, we would be overwhelmed and we wouldn't make it to, to noon, right? We wouldn't make it to lunchtime. So, you know, that's, that's really, really insightful. And so thinking about how can we mindlessly move in the direction that we want to move, which is kind of what you're just describing. But one of the things I I like to start with why, like kind of like Simon Sinek, it's like, let's start with why, what's the purpose behind this? What's what's the purpose behind this discussion? So I'd like to know from you, the expert, why is it important for high performers or people who have lofty goals to be focused on healthy habits and focused yeah. on nutrition and what they're putting in their body. Why is that important? Yeah. So they don't ever have to think about them again. That's why. So you can stay focused with most of your brain capacity on what really turns you on and what you think is going to drive you to the next level. What's going to make you sort of achieve your vision or goal. Cause if you think, cause the thing is, if you're spending a lot of time thinking about, well, uh, should I, I don't know, should I go on a diet or, you know, what, what should I do about my misbehaving son or daughter or should i what should i order for lunch what should i do for lunch you're you're you're, you're losing capacity that you could otherwise spend really performing at your top uh, in, in 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 the field you could otherwise spend that time not having to have 20 percent of your brain thinking about lunch or whatever but instead 98 percent of your brain thinking about something else and only two percent of your brain thinking about when you're going to have lunch not why and what and where and how much 
Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So you could be a salesperson now as well, because you're selling me on the idea that that makes a lot of sense. Let's, let's think about it once. Let's set it. Let's forget it. And let's approach this lifestyle in a way that, well, now we can make important decisions. We can focus on the things that are important. Right. So yeah. let's think, let's talk about this. So, so mindless eating, where would you start with someone who has no concept of what this is all about and so forth? Where would you start in terms of building a foundation on mindless eating towards the direction that you want to go? Well, so first they'd need to realize that, that, they're, they're, we, that we are all tremendous victims of mindless eating. The smartest people you know in the world who seem to do the best, craziest stuff, uh, I mean, the, the best, smartest stuff, if you were to ask them why they ate what they ate for breakfast today, they, they wouldn't know. Okay, because these things influence us so, so dramatically. And so we've done tons of studies where we've like, we've gone into theaters, we've changed the size of popcorn buckets. And I mean, in one, in one case, what we did, is we, we went into, into a, a movie theaters, and we gave people um, popcorn in like those, you know, those really huge buckets, you know, the ones that cost like $12. <laughs> yeah, or probably the, 15 these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the bigger size the one costs 15 that's right and we gave him this popcorn it was just stale three-day-old popcorn it's just it's like the styrofoam pellets and when people got there um we, we gave them free popcorn either large or small and it was this terrible popcorn and uh what happened was when when people left the theater we found that the typical person who was given the super large, nobody finished their popcorn. People was given the big bucket, ended up eating like about 30% more, like about, it would have been close to 700 calories more popcorn. Wow. If you say, yeah, and if you're, and when we asked them, I said, why, why did you eat so much? Do you, uh, was it because you're hungry? They go, no, 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 man. It's, I just I had dinner before I got here. Okay. Well, was it because the popcorn was really good? no are you kidding it's horrible do I mean, <laughs> even two people even try to ask for their money back it's just like no it's free popcorn <laughs> your money back but because those are the two excuses why people usually give you why they overeat okay they'll say you know i was really 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 hungry or it's really 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 food is really really good but when we ask them well do you think it might have been the size of the bucket like almost to a person people will say no way. There's no way something would influence me like that. And this ends up being sort of the, the, the key to mindless eating is the reason it hurts us so bad is most of us think that we're immune to it. We don't think that the distance of the cereal box from where we're sitting is going to have any impact on whether we have a second or third bowl of cereal. We don't think that uh, where the serving bowl is in, in the table, whether we were, we were eating with our family or whether we're serving up there. We don't, we don't think that's going to influence us at all. We don't think that the size of a plate is going to influence us, the shape of a glass. And that's why this stuff has such a big impact is because people almost refuse to acknowledge that it could influence anybody. We, we think we're smarter than a bowl. And so once people can kind of say, you know, I can see that if a bowl of chips is sitting within two feet of me. I'm going to keep eating until it's probably gone. But I can, I can also see that if, if that bowl of chips is four feet from me and I've got to lean to get it, maybe I'm not going to eat them until they're gone. And once people start saying, okay, okay, well, let me, let me, let me try. 
let, let me let me make some changes like that to make it mindlessly easy so I'm not thinking about whether I want another handful of chips, but I just don't do it. Once people can kind of acknowledge that, then that's that's a great way because then all of a sudden it opens up a whole bunch of things that people can do that can that can kind of curb the, the vaccine thing that's kind of you know maybe not keeping them where they want to be with respect to their health or their nutrition or weight or whatever. So understanding obviously this this subconscious you know behavior can allow you to put you know, sort of guardrails in your environment that can protect your mindless, you know, habits, so to speak. Could you tell me, does this relate to Parkinson's law? Is it Parkinson's law where that says, you know, you tell me a little bit about Parkinson's law. I see your face lighting up here. I'm curious. Yeah, actually, because almost all those laws and I'm not exactly sure what Parkinson's law is right, right now. I was just thinking of a bunch of other laws. <laughs> okay. But, I, can, but I can take a stab at it. I think what I understand Parkinson's law to be is that if you have a certain amount of resources or food, it's like, it just somehow you find a way to consume it. Right. Or, or if you have a certain amount of money in your bank account, you somehow find a way to spend it. And so this is the natural behavior. And if we understand that's a natural behavior, how do we put some guardrails around that environment? And I'm probably butchering it, but that's how I understand it. I think, I think that that's, that's perfectly. It's the, it's the great reason why, uh, Anytime, uh, yeah, yeah, anytime somebody ever goes to Vegas, they, they win $100 advice is cash that out right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, if you have chips, <laughs> if you have chips, walk away. But there's this feeling, right? There's this feeling that, well, there's more than, you know, because you. I think about like evolution a lot, right? Human beings have not always had, you know, as much food and things that we have at our disposal today. And so our ancestors millions of years ago, or even tens of thousands of years ago, if there was more to consume, that was a smart thing to do, right? Because when a rainy day comes or when the winter comes, you've packed up some resources and now you can make it through this challenge, but that's no longer the case in current society. Does that resonate yeah, with you? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So what we do, what people try to do then is they try to use their willpower to say, I got, I've got an embarrassment of wealth around or a bit embarrassment of food or whatever you want to call it, but I will use my willpower <laughs> to, to not whatever consumer to not, to not blow that money I made. I made in Vegas to not blow the extra whatever commission I got to not eat all the chips that are sitting in the car seat next to me. Okay. But then that can work for some people. I mean, some people, and especially if you are, if that's what you do full time is diet full time or think about food full time, you know, like some people do. I mean, that's what a lot of nutrition people do. A lot of, a lot of people in the health business and health field, that's really what they do. Their kind of full-time job is just to focus on food. But for most of us, that's a little sliver of our lives. We got bigger things to do and bigger, bigger lives, different lives. To, I mean, I don't mean bigger. I mean, we have, we have different priorities. And for us, it's a whole lot easier rather than to focus on it, to set up the things so that we don't have to focus on it, so that we can let just nature take its course in eating less. And like, like, like I mentioned, a person even doesn't have to be a big believer. You just have to start trying things. So I, for instance, we found simply by using a smaller plate, when it's, most of us see off plates that are about 11 inches, but just going down to under 10 inches will typically serve about 20% less food on this, just a slightly smaller plate. Because 20% less, let's say four ounces on a nine inch plate or 10 inch plate, 
looks like a full portion. That same four ounces on an 11 inch plate. I mean, so is the theory that most people are eating too much? Is that the, is that still the case? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so people this, are consuming too many calories or is it a certain amount of, or, or specific type of food that people are eating too much of? You know, so the, the typical person on average needs about 2000 calories a day. Okay. And 2000 calories is kind of the equivalent of eight candy bars. Okay. <laughs> 2000 calories a day. It's neither gain nor to lose weight. Okay. They okay. have, they have nine calorie, nine candy bars. They gain weight they <laughs> six or seven. They lose a little bit. Okay. But that's, that's 2000 where you just are mainly just to maintain things. Now, if you were to say, you know, I I'd like to lose, let's say 20 pounds. Okay. Um, I'm going to do that by eating half as many calories every day. Well, first of all, you're going to hate yourself. You're going to hate everybody in the world. You're going to hate your dog. You're just, you're just going to hate everything because you're going to just feel miserable. You're going to be mean. Yeah, that's right. And what's going to happen is both psychologically and physiologically, that's going to backfire on you. It's going to backfire physiologically because your, your body goes into the kind of the caveman mode you're talking about earlier where it says, <laughs> you know, starvation's coming. I better really start conserving energy and your, your body actually slows down and starts burning calories at a slower rate. But psychologically, it also backfires because when you cut things out, you're typically cutting out things that have salt, which we need, you know, cuts out sugar, which we need. It also cuts out and it cuts out um, fat, which also we need to some extent. So if we cut those out of our diet, we really, at some point, Pretty soon, we're going to figure out some way to rebound and get them back into our diet. And that might be later tonight when all of a sudden we, we eat salads all day. And then at nighttime, we sit down, we finish off chips for during a movie. Or it might be three weeks from now when we decide to go off our diet of the month and just go back to the way we were. So instead of doing that, just making these little small changes that keep you within about 200, pound, uh, 200 calories of that 2000, that 2000 calorie limit is the way to do it. Because if you do that, your body doesn't realize anything's going on and there's nothing to sort of push back against. So, you know, the, if you can figure out a way without tricking, if you can figure out a way without yourself really knowing it, to eat 200 or 300 fewer calories, not much more, but that much, you're not going to realize you're on a diet or that you're getting healthier. And eventually you're just going to find that each week things kind of drop down a little bit more. So when we think about the total amount of calorie intake and we think about, all right, let's, let's be mindful of the total that is coming in and let's try to stay in that sort of range. Now I, I would think the next step would be, all right, well, what type of nutrients are we, are we engaging in, right? Or are we taking into our body? You could correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that there's a certain amount of, you know, carbohydrates, there's a certain amount of fats, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, sugars. And, and so, so give me a sense of that. And, and then let's talk about the half plate rule that you set forth as well. Sure. You know, that is what gets people really confused. And just like I mentioned back when I was in my PhD program, I'd say, do people really make decisions like this? It's like, geez, nobody I know makes decisions <laughs> like this. And, and, and when it comes to a lot of nutrition, you know, you're, you're, you're 
our grandmothers had a pretty good instinct about what was healthy and what was not healthy, what was the right portion and the wrong portion. And, and I think in our heart, most of us know that too. We know that an apple is better for us than a candy bar. You know, we, we, we know that certain things are better than other things. And, and, and being reasonable, not trying to trick ourselves, I think we'll probably fall within that range almost automatically. Oh, interesting. But, but, I, but I, I believe the real easy rule of thumb, and I, again, I was in charge of the dietary guidelines, and that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been the answer I could have given uh, 10 years ago when I was at the White House. But that's the way I kind of see things now. But really, the simplest rule of thumb that you can use, I believe, when trying to figure out what to eat for, for dinner is you say, okay, here's my deal. We're going we're to call this the half plate rule. You take your plate. And you just visually sort of divide it in half. Okay, so you have two semicircles. You say, okay, half my plate needs to be fruits, vegetables, and salad. The other half can be whatever I want. Okay, it can be barbecued ribs or whatever, but half has to be fruits, vegetables, and salad. And you say, well, you know, I don't know that if I'm going to be full if I only have half a plate of the of barbecue ribs and baked beans and coleslaw or, or and, and whatever, French fries. It's like, well, if you want a second plate, you can get a second plate. But again, half of it has to be fruits, vegetables, or salad. The other half can be whatever you want. You know, we find that people doing this, it, it's, it's a great sort of like in the field rule of thumb to use. And what we find is, is people report that they eat a little bit less as a result in some cases, just because you have a full plate of food, it's just like, really, I don't like fruits, vegetables, and salad that much. Go back a second time. So you stop. But other people decide to do that, and they still end up filling themselves up with healthier food to some extent. So it's a really, it's a really cool thing, a really cool rule of thumb to use. So it's almost, I mean, your, it seems like your approach is just keeping it simple, right? It's don't overcomplicate it. It's here's, here's the rule. But what other tips or, or, or practical, you know, approaches? I love that you call yourself, by the way, a pracademic, because uh, you're, you're <laughs> practical in, in the way that you study this and, and approach this. It's like, what's going to really resonate and what are people really going to be able to stick with for the course of their life, right? So what other practical tips do you have? So one thing is there's, there's five areas in, in, in your eating life that tend to mess us up, you know, five basic areas. And one of them is meal stuffing. That's just like eating way too much at meals, having thirds and fourths and or whatever. Okay. Another snack grazing where we just sort of sign, kind of go, yeah, I'm working at home today. Wonder what's in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> and so we could walk up there and then we walk around and then we look at our desk and say, anything in here? Uh, nope, not in there. And Snack reason ends up being another area. Now, a third area ends up being desktop or dashboard dining. And that's primarily work, eating while we work. Okay. It's not really intentionally going for a snack, just sort of mindlessly doing things while, we, while we're driving in the car, while we're driving back from a gig or while we're celebrating a, a sale or a good meeting, we buy something on the way back. The fourth area ends up being um, the area of... Um, uh, it's party binging. And essentially, it's kind of, these are the, those are the three big areas I talked about. But party binging is essentially kind of, you're fine, but then all of a sudden, you know, you go to a friend's place for dinner and all of a sudden there's appetizers and people are standing around and you just go, 
or maybe there's a reception somewhere and, and you kind of do the same thing. And if you look at these areas, the, the thing about these areas is that we can all kind of identify with them, but at any one month in our life, there's one of these that's probably more problematic for us than others, okay? Um, now, uh, it might be that I don't know, the desktop dashboard dining has been really a bad one for you because COVID's gone over and you've got a lot of driving going on and stuff like this. So the thing to do is, is to not make a million changes in your life. You want to make some mindless changes that you can make once and then forget about. And you only have to do these for a month, okay? And you get to choose what they are. So the idea is you find whichever of these things is most problematic. Um, let's say, let's say, uh, let's say it's snack grazing. It's you, you're working your computer, then you come and go up and get some meat, then you come back and work and go, oh God, I'm starving. You say, well, what are three changes? What are three little bitty changes I can make just for one month? For only one month, that if I were to do them every day, they wouldn't really put me out. They'd be kind of easy to do. And I think they'd take care of that snack grazing. Okay. Uh, it, it might be something as easy as saying, okay, well, I'm going to not have any food on the counter upstairs. Okay, that's one change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure everything's packed away. Another change is, you know, that breakfast cereal stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not going to eat any breakfast cereal right out of the box. If I can, I can pour it in the bowl. I'll let myself pour it in the bowl, but I'm not going to eat out of the box. My third change is, you know, I can snack while I watch TV, but I've got to go up and get it in the other room. I can't bring it out here. Whatever I get out there, I've got to put it in a bowl or a plate and bring it out to the TV. I can't just bring the whole thing of M&Ms out or the whole thing of cookies or the whole thing of potatoes. So let's say you make three changes that are very easy to make. And as long as you make them, they're not really going to put you out. They're not like going on a diet. You say, well, would those move me in the right direction? And if you do those every day for a month, at the end of the month, you, you kind of say, okay, great. I do those. If they're working for me, maybe I'll keep one or two of them. Maybe, maybe I won't keep any of them. But now let me look. Now it's the end of this next month. Now what's most problematic for me? You know, I am really lucky that my, my partner is an amazing cook. But, you know, I tend to really eat a lot of what they make. I think this month, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, what are, what are three little changes I can make at mealtime that's going to make it really easy for me to eat just a little bit less? I'll tell you, it's guys. I'll tell you, one thing is we, we find that with your serving dishes, if you keep serving dishes off the table, neither on the stove or on a uh, serving board or on the counter, you're going to eat almost 30% less of any food you have over there versus here. So you so, should put the vegetables on the table, but leave the other stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes, Cause exactly. you want to eat 30% more of that, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Cause you'll fill up on that too. So, you know, you say, well, what are little changes that you can make that can move in that direction? And in my, in my first book, which is mindless eating, I kind of say, here's all the studies that we've done. These crazy studies we've done in restaurants and cafeterias and in people's homes, looking at what works and what, what doesn't work for people. But a lot of these things, you just make up yourself and you say, well, what would work for me? 
Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. And enjoy the rest of the show. Interesting. You know, today's, today's kind of society, there's, there's all, you know, different fads, diets, and, and different ways to approach eating or, or even lack thereof. Right. And, and one of the biggest things today is intermittent fasting. So what's your take on intermittent fasting and, and what sort of impact does that have? Well, you know, the neat thing about intermittent fasting, I'll, I'll put that just conceptually, I'll put that in the same care in the same, uh, category as the um let's call it the uh the all you can eat ice cream diet okay i'll put i'll put them both in the same <laughs> and, and i'm putting them in the same category because but what they both do is they totally disrupt a pattern for a day okay your pattern for the day might be to get up kind of you know look at your watch go oh my gosh i'm almost late run downstairs grab a couple of handfuls of, of breakfast cereal eat them out of your hand i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> Uh, and, you know, then going to being starved all morning, maybe grabbing a couple of donuts. So you've got a, you've got a kind of a set of patterns that go on during the day, but if you fast, it's just like, wait a minute, I can't do any of that. If you're on the, um, ice cream diet, you can't do any of that either. You can eat ice cream all day, but you wouldn't do that. You, you wouldn't do that. And really at some point you're going to go just really, I really am getting tired of this. <laughs> so both of those things end up being effective not necessarily because they cut the number of calories, but because what they do on the next day is make you more aware of what you're doing that probably isn't that smart. So from a pattern interrupt standpoint, it's valuable is what exactly. you're saying. So yeah. every now and then perhaps it's a valuable practice is what you're saying. But yeah. what if people say, look, I want to do an intermittent fasting where I'm doing 16, eight, whatever. Is that, you know, is that anything that you've studied? Is there anything that you would say about that? Yeah, so we've we've done two studies on on fasting, and so they're both kind of cool. I, I think they're both really cool. So one of them we did was actually in a grocery store. We took people and put them on an eighteen hour fast. Okay, um, oh no, this is at a buffet. We, we we put them on an eighteen hour fast, and they went through a buffet. And what we found, and then I think what was interesting was, and these are compared to people who had been on uh, who hadn't eaten for five hours. So that's the comparison is. So what we found is that when they went back to food, 
they, they ate a little bit more. I mean, you'd expect somebody on the fast to just kind of go. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they, they didn't. They ate a little bit more, but not that much more. But here's what happened. They ate a whole lot worse. Interesting. Yeah. So what happened was we had um, we had meat, different kinds of meats, uh, different kinds of carbohydrates, different kinds of vegetables. I mean, like carbohydrates would be a. Uh, there's pasta and I think we had um, like fried potatoes and something else. And then we had uh, different kinds of vegetables and um, oh, and then we had desserts. Okay, it was what we had for the fourth kind of thing. And people go, could go through this buffet and take everything you wanted to. And like I said, in terms of actual calories, both people took roughly the same. I mean, it wasn't like people in a fast took half again as much or whatever. They took roughly the same. But what they took was all garbage. Interesting. Yeah. So, so they, the first thing they took was all carbohydrates. They, they took, not all carbohydrates. They took by far the most carbohydrates and then desserts. I guess you can say carbohydrates, but then desserts. They took very little vegetables and they, they took a reasonable amount of meat. Whereas the people who hadn't been fasting right, took more meat. He took more vegetables and on average. So, so that's warning. That's interesting. So I think about um, you've been mentioning vegetables, obviously vegetables, salads, fruits is half the plate. So if you were to think about vegetables and fruits, what are some of the most optimal, you know, what's, what's the best nutrition? Is there anything that you point to in particular on that side of the plate that you really want to encourage folks to, to continue to, to, you know, consume or, Nothing in particular. Oh, it's just like anything, you know, people say, well, I don't know. Avocados, they have a lot of calories. And it's like, really? Well, why don't you eat enough avocados to have to worry about calories? Probably <laughs> <you> can. <laughs> and, and I think with, with most fruits and most vegetables, people, even people start like counting the calories in a grapefruit or something like, no, think instead, count instead the calories you're not going to be eating in bread or in waffles or whatever, because you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. So I think I, I see almost all those as almost a calorie-free solution to eating less carbs and eating less bread. That makes sense. How much and, water should people be drinking? You know, cause you've always heard the eight, eight glasses a day, you know, is that, yeah. is that still the case? Well, I, I yeah, I, I, I also drink, I drink a ton of diet pop too, but I, I think, <laughs> but I, I think yeah, drinking a lot of, fluids you know, it's just recommended in general um you know the idea well does it fill up your stomach and make you likely eat less we've tried a couple of studies on that and we we never found what we thought would happen which is the obvious stuff but but another thing that that is interesting and i think this is looking at at protein is that when and this is just qualitative research we've we found but one of the things we find is that that the more um, snackable proteins that a person has in their house, the easier they, they claim it is to eat healthier. Okay. So for instance, and then one of, one of our recommendations with some of the, some of the people we've worked with in some other situations have been to have at least six different single servings of protein in your house. Those, those could be cheese sticks. It could be an egg. It could be beef jerky. It could be turkey meat. It could be yogurt. 
But it's when it's when you have none of that stuff, which is the stuff that really fills you up and can be really satisfying. So when you have none of that is when you look in the refrigerator and go. Give me the chips. Oh. Give me whatever, you know. Yeah, that's right. And, and Tyler, I, I, I meant to say to you that we don't know, but we believe the reason why people coming off a of fast tend to go for those for those carbohydrates and for the desserts is that they really give the most instantaneous energy because that stuff gets converted to sugar right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, so you, you mentioned that this fasting thing. So we also, I was just really quickly telling others, we did this other cool study where we took people who are fasting and we looked at, um, we looked at what, what, what they bought when they went to grocery stores. We looked at, people who'd been, who hadn't eaten for a long time, what they ate when they went to grocery stores. And you always hear people say, don't, don't shop in an empty stomach because you'll, you'll buy more food. <laughs> Is that true? No, no, no. no. We found again, they buy the same amount as somebody who just had, had lunch. Somebody who's skipped lunch and, and somebody who ate lunch, they're going to buy the same amount of food, but what, they're going to buy is different foods. People have skipped lunch and are hungry, for instance. Mm-hmm. They're going to buy the stuff that they can basically eat out of the box on the way out of the parking lot. They're, they're buying more carbohydrates. They're buying more, again, uh, candy. Uh, they're buying more ready-to-eat stuff, mm-hmm. cereals, things, chips, things like that. Just because your, your whole body, your whole brain saying, I need energy right now. I can't, I can't wait to go out and grill a chicken breast. Speaking of uh, shopping in the grocery store, I've always been told to, you know, try to stick around the edges, right? You know, because if you're buying something out of a box, it's more likely to be not, you know, good for you in comparison to some of the fresh stuff or even some frozen things, you know, in terms of frozen meats and so, and so forth. Does that resonate with you as well? Yeah, yeah, it does. But, but also, I think don't overlook the, the, the canned food aisle because mm, that's good. Talk about, yeah, they always talk about, you know, Fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables. No, frozen or just as good and canned or even more affordable. You might want to rinse, rinse them off in some water, but they're even more affordable and they're good too. That's awesome. Brian, I want to transition a little bit. I want to um, switch gears and I want to talk about just living a life of never ending learning because that's, that's kind of what you've been about. I feel like that's what you've demonstrated, you know, over the past 30 plus years in your career, you started with, Hey, look, I'm, I'm not cool. I'm not going to be cool. So this is what I'm interested (laughs) in. I'm going to go this direction. I'm going to share it with people. I'm going to continue to grow, but tell me about that. I mean, what has this life of never ending learning meant for you? Well, you know, one thing, I, I, I think we can talk about never ending learning, but I think learning is a functional sort of thing. And if we kind of say, I want to be the smartest woman in the world or whatever, <laughs> that's, 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 you know, once you hit a rough patch, that's just going to fly out the window and it's going to stop. But I think the thing that sustains, that can be sustaining is when you believe you're learning for a purpose. And, you know, and I, I believe a really great purpose is when you believe that learning is going to be helping others. It's in service to others in, in one way or the other. And so um, I, uh, in a number of years ago, this was, uh, I guess, maybe 30 years ago, I, I, I kind of came up with this idea of, of, of developing 101, I said, I call them forthcoming contributions and accomplishments, okay, that were kind of benchmarks as to whether I thought I was helping people in the way I wanted to do. And some of them, of course, were just more personal 
for me, like, you know, you know, do this or do that. But most of them are very other centric and having this list of 101 things that every, and some of them are very, some of them are very sublime, but most of them are pretty banal. But every year I look and I cross off the ones that might, two or three that I might have accomplished. And I put two or three more back on there. And I think having this goal directed kind of um, view and looking at this list very frequently is that it naturally kind of leads you to say, what do I need to learn? Or what do I need to discover so that I can start doing some of these things that I, that I want to do? And, and I think when you have a goal-directed reason for, for learning, again, whether it be to help others out or whether it be to uh, uh, better yourself so that you can be a better service to others or whatever, I think it's it's motivating, but also it's going to get you past the patch of anything you might set up that's just inherently a selfish thing. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you that because you just strike me as someone who's just so curious and and it just it just never ends. That's one of the things that that I've learned about myself is that my curiosity keeps getting deeper. When I ask another question and I learn something new, I uncover a gap in something else that I didn't know. And it's like this little, um, you know, this discovery process, it just never ends. And it's just fun. You know, it's a fun way of life. But the way that you described in terms of the purpose is it's not just that fun. It's not just what you receive, but it's what you give as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and when I was really, I was really fortunate when I was in, um, when I was maybe 19 years old, I was, I was selling Amway in college to try to pay um, tuition in college. And I think it initially wasn't going very well. And this guy, uh, this guy said, well, why don't you read this book? And he gave me this book. And you know, this book really transformed my life. And I, uh, I, I bet I read it in, in college, I bet I read it 35 times. And since then, I've probably read it another 15 times, um, even so this is really nerdy. Even last year, during the COVID thing, I made my, my three daughters, who were all like in junior high, I made them read it and we'd have family discussions every day. <laughs> so, but the, but the what book, book is it? But the book was written in 1959 by a guy named David Schwartz. And it's called The Magic of Thinking Big. Yes. Love that book. Yeah. And then I, I've just, I've read it, I've underlined it, I've given copies to dozens of people. And, and the, the powerful thing about something like that or with that I, a book like that, especially rereading it and rereading it until things become second nature, is you start maybe looking at learning um, as, as it's, it's a great end in itself, but it, it can also be a means to an end of things that are, are, are limitless. You know, an impact you might want to have that's, that's, that's limitless. And... And I think that that's really, I think that's really a, a, a really powerful driver. You know, you know, it was, it was, this is kind of cool. I, I had a, um, we had a, we had a neighbor a couple doors down, and she she had the big real estate company, and she, you know, she she had been like a, a teacher in high school, and then decided to become a real estate agent. And then she turned from a real estate agent to she had her own agency. Then it became the agency in the, in the Finger Lakes area of, uh, of, of, of New York State where, where I live. 
and and, and you know her name was everywhere. It was just just you know every all those things. And I, I know she and her husband were for for dinner one time, and I was talking about well, what is it? Well, there were over a number of times. At one time, um, we were. I asked her what it was that she did that. Um, she goes, well, you know, I said, you know, kind of what you do is, is it, it's for a lot of people, it's kind of a commodity. You just happen to be in the right place at the right time. That's how you're able to make a sale. She goes, yeah, but she says, that's not the way that you build a business. That's the way you make one sale. Yes. But if that's the way you view this business, you're not going to become this person. You're going to stay here. She said, what she did is she'd always set things up so that it would go in the future. And I'd say, well, what would be an example? And this is so cool. She said, you know, I always ask people what they do as, as, as agents that they think made a unique difference. And then she makes a note. And she says, you know, like one thing, I've sold a house. Somebody's going to be moving into, you know, 330 the parkway. And hey, it's done. The deal's done. I'm on to my next thing. I'm on to my fourth thing after that. Forget it old news. She goes, no, you know what I do is she said, the day before they move in, I go and I, I, I buy a bottle of wine and I have a little card that says, enjoy this bottle of wine in your, for your, celebrate your first night in your new home. I mean, something as small as that. And she said, these people will make referrals. And what they'll say is, this woman gave us a free bottle of wine <laughs> for, for her $300,000 home. This woman, like I said, she she would always be asking people, "What do you do to add value?" That's that's distinct. That's that's actually objective, not just, "Well, I give good service." And she always made note of these, and it was in service of her building future clientele. You know what it reminds me of is a phrase, and and you you talked about the magic of thinking big. The book, uh, it's thinking big and acting small thinking big and acting small and doing something, you know, thoughtful for someone else is, you know, it's when you combine those two things, I think that is the power. And I always believe that if we can think bigger, then more becomes possible. And I'm almost drawing a delineation of your story. I mean, you were working on behalf of the United States executive branch, sharing your wisdom. And I would imagine it came down to you thought big, And then when you got there, you acted small, right? You acted small and you thought about, you know, how we can, you know, how we can help people consume less and, and, and get to the, to an optimal weight and so forth. And man, this has just come full circle. I just really appreciate this, Brian. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I want to transition into our rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It is about making decisions that are a bit uncommon, right? We are, we can't breathe too much, but we're going to continue to climb the mountain, right? So we were just talking about a book there, which you and I share a a reverence for. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books you've read over just the past few years, is there anything that comes to mind? And if so, why? Yeah, you know, so I mean, the magic thing, I mean, I have reread that in the last couple of years. Uh, And I I, I reread it all the time. I, I, I love the book. I think another book, though, that I think is really, and I read, I read uh, dozens. I think almost a month. Um, but the book that really, where because usually if you, if I get like two or three ideas out of a book, I can go, that was great, that 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 was worth it, that was worth it. But this book, I bet I got thirty ideas. I I, I remember typing up notes. There's so many. There's a book 
There's a book called by a guy named his name is Carrie Newhoff, and it's not spelled. It's spelled like in a Dutch way, so it's N I E U W H, you know, E I F, and but it's called "Didn't See It Coming." Okay, hmm. and what it's what it's about? It's about this guy saying he'd been he's a he'd been a um, a minister for all of his life. I guess he still is, and he he counseled and been with lots and lots of people. It's how people in their middle age in their tend to be in their middle age tend to really get blindsided by stuff. And it's about the six things that really, really tend to blindside people, why they blindside you and um, what you can do, but like great advice and what you can do when this happens. I mean, it can be every, any, everything from like getting fired or from having like a spouse all of a sudden say, oh, I didn't tell you I'm leaving today. I mean, it can be all sorts of things like this to, uh, to all sorts of these problems. And it's, and even if these things have never happened, his, his contention is that one of these things is going to happen to everybody, at least at some point. But even if they don't, just reading this thing and saying, wow, okay, well, I can see where that could be the cause. Let me not do that again. <laughs> yeah. Super, super useful. Really, cool. really interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. That, that's, that's probably, um, that, that's the one that's, has the most news you can use that's pretty much general for any sort of overachiever because that's really what's directed at it's directed at real overachievers because underachievers oftentimes i think don't risk these huge setbacks in life that very ambitious people have yes yes that is the uh, the calling that we've you know, we've set ourselves on. And so the question is, all right, how are we going to deal with those disappointments? You discipline those disappointments. Or are you going to, uh, you're going to crumble in those fa- in the face of those disappointments. So that's awesome. I, I will check that one out myself. Tremendous. And, Tremendous. Yeah. We'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find those books as well as where they can find your books, Brian. So yes, I'm looking forward good. to sharing those. And I've just got a couple more questions for you. If you had to say the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would you say about that? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I spend uh, the first part of my day kind of in kind of uh, in quiet time. Sometimes you might call it meditating or you know prayer or whatever. And and that's that's the way I spend it. And but also, but I mainly focus on the things I'm super super grateful that happened, um, just that either happening now or, or have happened. And what I find that it does is it's almost like when you thank somebody for some for somebody for something, for instance, or when you focus on what you're grateful for, you don't mail it in after that. You know, after that, it's motivating actually just to just articulate something you're grateful for. You don't say, "Oh man, I'm really." Really grateful that I've had a month work of workouts and I haven't injured myself. So <laughs> go back to bed. No, you don't do that. You, you do a month in one day. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Gratitude, right? And, and spending yeah. time alone. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and even even um, at nighttime with my uh, with my with my family, we always when we sit down to dinner, we have um, we have all the I have three daughters everybody, including my wife and I have to say what our high point is that day or low point, who we appreciate most that day and why, mm. and then what our compass is going in the future. And 
the thing that's so elevating about that experience is also ends up being elevating for other people because somebody somebody saying, you know, I really, I really appreciate my assistant swim coach because you know she's she doesn't yell at me like the normal coach does, and uh, she really makes me think that even though I, I kind of aren't very good this season, that uh, that I'm the one who's going to get the better the fastest. Mm. And then all of a sudden. You can't have like a discussion like that without your daughter who just said that the next day kind of treating that person differently or better. Yeah. It all rubs off on each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, that leads in very nicely to my next question, which is what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Well, you know, I think I, 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 the nice thing about that example is that I think in some ways that elevates five different people every night we do it because we all mention a different person. I think all think a little bit different about somebody after that. Um, but in terms of the way I consciously, well, actually I, 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 I include people in my, in my meditation or my prayer who I want to, who I want to elevate. But I, I think doing the small things that you talk about are things that I've, that I try to do, but I'm really positive <laughs> that I do all the wrong small things. I don't do <laughs> probably, but I try. <laughs> That's a good reminder for all of us. You don't have to be perfect, right? And uh, Brian, what an awesome conversation. I've had a lot of fun today. And I think that, you know, what we've learned about today is not only healthy habits, but also the way to really be happier, uh, to live, perhaps you want to live longer. You want to make more impact. I think that today's conversation was so important for that, but is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Well, I really appreciate what you do because I think, you know, you've heard that, you know, your attitude determines your altitude and stuff. And then those, I think are very true. They're all very true. But I, I thought that for, you know, over 30 years as a professor, my biggest competitive advantage was hope. Okay. I always had hope that my papers would have more impact. I'd always have hope that the ideas I discover were useful to people. I'd always have hope that this next semester I'd be an even better professor than I was last year. And I think as long as a person has hope, you really keep those feet driving. Okay. But once you kind of lose hope in any way, okay. um, That's when all of a sudden things start, not just to stop, but I think they start to roll downhill in some ways and it becomes really hard to get that going. So anything a person can do to, to insulate your hope and to grow it, Whatever by whatever means that is, whether that means eliminating some toxic people, whether that be moving to a different company, whether it be starting your own, whatever it is, I think it's worth really extreme measures to protect your hope in the future. That's remarkable. 
remarkable statement, remarkable, um, you know, reminder, or even call to action for, for all of us, right. There's some way that we can preserve our hope even, even more so in our life. And, and, uh, that really resonates with me. So Brian, thank you so much, man. I want to acknowledge you for contributing so much to so many people for continuing to challenge yourself, for continuing to elevate others around you. You are phenomenal, my friend. And, um, in terms of where elevate nation can find you, brianwanzik.com. Um, Brian Wanzink on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, uh, actually Twitter, but where else, where else can the listeners find you? I'd say primarily, uh, pri- primarily just the, the website, brianwanzink.com. Got it. We will put links in the show notes as to where Elevate Nation can find you. So you want to go check that out, but Brian, until next time, my friend, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great, man. Have a great rest of the week. You do the same. Elevate Nation, I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show. I want to encourage you to share this with someone that you care about, someone that you maybe have just met, someone that uh, is new to your life, or maybe someone that's been around for a long time and help them understand how they can you know, not only protect and preserve that hope for their future, but how they can expand their own health, their own wealth as a result, and uh, so many different capacities. So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show, identify your top one two or three key distinctions, your biggest takeaways from this episode, because there's a lot of easy stuff here. It's not about making stuff more complicated or more complex. It is about making things easy and applying them immediately. And that's really at the most, at the end of the day is the most important thing is to apply, take massive action. What's one thing that you can apply today, whether it's put it on your calendar or really put it into practice immediately. And uh, so I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. And I want to thank you so much for listening to Elevate Podcast today. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.